My grandfather felt um, limited in Israel. So he came to America uh, in the late 60s and he came with like, you know, a suitcase and $50 in his pocket, kind of classic story. <laughs> and uh, realized that in America you could buy wrecked cars at a junkyard and he'd buy them wrecked and he'd fix them in his backyard and he'd sell them. And that's how he started making money. And my mom says as a kid, she's like her image of her dad is him being under a car and you're seeing his two feet sticking out. <laughs> um, and eventually saved up enough to rent a garage and then he bought a garage and then around 1980 he bought a mobile home park. This is Durable Value. Get investing and business insights from industry experts and successful entrepreneurs every week. Like and subscribe now. So today we're here with Daniel Weisfield with Three Pillars Communities, a mobile home a park investor, but uh, more importantly, someone that I've gotten to know over time and who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, I love your story, how you've gotten to where you are, and I just wanted to spend a little bit of time today talking about that. Yeah. Um, so let's start off by, I, I've heard a little bit about your family history, but I'd, I'd love if you could elaborate a little more on your family history. Yeah, so um, I come from a scrappy immigrant <laughs> entrepreneurial family. Um, my mother was born on a chicken farm in Israel. My grandfather was born on a chicken farm in Israel. Uh, we're Holocaust survivors. And my grandfather felt um, limited in Israel based on kind of social class. His family didn't have a lot of money, he was a farm kid, and he felt like his opportunities were limited. So he came to America uh, in the late 60s with his wife and his two little girls, my mom and my aunt. And he came with like, you know, a suitcase and $50 in his pocket, kind of classic story. <laughs> and uh, realized that in America you could buy wrecked cars at a junkyard and nice new cars, only two years old, but they had some bumper damage and he'd buy them wrecked and he'd fix them in his backyard and he'd sell them. And that's who started making money. And my mom says as a kid, she's like her image of her dad is him being under her car and just seeing his two feet sticking out. Um, <laughs> and eventually saved up enough to rent a garage. And then he bought a garage. And then around 1980, he bought a mobile home park. Um, wow. And so I'm in the mobile home park business. I grew up around it, helping my grandfather, you know, mow the lawn at the park, paint the fences. <laughs> I mean, it was truly mom and pop. My grandfather was like a farm boy. That's how he did it. Um, and I went off, I did other things in my career, which we can talk about. Yeah. And I, I realized a few years ago, kind of the opportunity in manufactured housing. Yeah. What, what are some of your memories of your grandfather? And as particularly as it relates to business or work yeah. ethic or that yeah. sort of well, thing? Well, I mean, I guess I should say, you know, memories isn't just in the past. I'm very grateful he's still alive. He's, oh, okay. He's going to turn 90 wow. uh, next year. And so he's, <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's kind of a hero and a mentor for me. And I talk to him regularly. Yeah. And he's still, you know... As I was learning the business, he was kind of a business advisor. Yeah. Now, uh, I talk to him about business to give him joy, right? It energizes <laughs> him. It gives him a lot yeah. of energy. But I'd say the, the big lessons from him, um, number one, bias to action. Bias to a action. Bias to action. Yeah. Bias to action. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he told me, like, when they, had to, when they had to overhaul a tractor when he was growing up, you know, they didn't have, like, a you know, Napa Auto Parts, you could go buy like the head gasket kit. He's like, we'd pull it apart. There was no instruction manual. We'd figure out the gasket was busted. We'd take a piece of cardboard, we'd put it on top, we'd cut it to size, and then we'd put the head back on, we'd screw it in. Like, we'd figure it out. <laughs> and that's his MO in uh -huh. life. Like, you get your hands dirty, you figure it out. Yeah. Uh, like, as a kid, he always taught me, like, oh, the blender broke? Like, let's pull it apart, let's figure it out. And I think that's wow. his mentality about fixing a blender. It's also his mentality about business. Like, yeah. yeah, let's buy a mobile home park. We don't know exactly how it's going to run. We haven't done it yet. 
we're like fairly competent people. We trust ourselves. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So I think that's a big one. Um, second big lesson from my grandfather was, I can just picture his voice in my head. Like, Daniel, <laughs> don't pay rent. There's money down the toilet. You need to buy real estate. <laughs> like this is, this is like the biggest lesson from my grandfather is like, God bless America. You can come here. And it's crazy. It's so good. A bank will lend you money to buy an appreciating asset that cash flows. And then like the government gives you a mortgage interest deduction. And like, like, the whole thing is like rigged in favor of people who can save up enough capital to buy real estate. Yeah. And so it was really hammered into me. Like you don't want to rent. You want to save that money you want to buy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I was married young, I was married at 23. My mm-hmm. wife was you know, my life partner. And she also comes from a Holocaust survivor family, kind of immigrants yeah. came to America with a similar mentality. And, we, you know, we pooled our life savings when we were like 24 and we bought a little duplex <laughs> and we, you know, painted it ourselves, did the drywall, like, you know, GC'd this renovation, actually turned it into a triplex, got another unit added, wow. you know, lived in it, rented it out. And that was our first deal. You know, we learned how to be real estate entrepreneurs because of these family values. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the word scrappy, scrappy yeah. background. Uh, yet, uh, I, I look at your resume and uh, your Yale undergrad, magna cum laude, Yale law, uh, Yale MBA. You worked for this small company called McKinsey and Company. I, you look at that and it's like, okay, we know this person's trajectory. We know where they're going. They're starting out in the you know consulting world and then they're working their way up to partner and uh, living this, from an entrepreneur's perspective, living this very uh, predestined path. What changed? I, I, you know, what what uh, took you off of that path and why? Kind of getting into that psychology maybe a little bit. You know, when I was doing all those things, I sometimes felt like I had a double life. <laughs> like, you know, superficially, yeah, I'm like, Yale Law, Yale MBA, working in the fancy corporate world. But inside who I am, I, you know, I'm come from like, like I said, this scrappy entrepreneurial family where I was out there, you know, like mowing the lawn with my grandfather and trying to help him fix cars. Um, and at some point when I was kind of in that consulting grind, yeah. you know, I, I learned a lot at McKinsey. I'm grateful for it. Yeah. I served, you know, fortune 100 clients. It was yeah. in boardrooms. That was great. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, you're on that treadmill and you're figuring out, like, what do I want from my life? Yeah. Who do I want to be when I grow up? Yeah. Um, and I just thought, like, do I want to be, like, continue on this kind of, quote unquote, golden path and try and become a partner at a consulting firm and keep working, you know, 68 hours a week and earning a W-2 salary? Or do I want to be like my grandfather yeah. who didn't have the benefits of an education, didn't speak English the way I speak English? Um, but worked really hard and built real wealth for himself and his family while also providing great housing to his tenants, right? Yeah. And he can go to sleep yeah. every night thinking, I'm doing something positive in the world for my tenants mm-hmm. and I own it myself and I don't have a boss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took a lot of courage. Yeah. Like I'd been on this very conventional path and I checked all those boxes of having a fancy resume, right? And it's, it's easy and comfortable to you know, keep doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, but I had to really look in the mirror and think like, who do I want to be? And I want to be more like my grandfather. By the end of 2021, what will work look like? Get our in-depth analysis and five predictions for the future of work and office space in our report, The Future of Work. 
download at grisadapartners.com. Obviously, part of the reason people go that route is because it's a lucrative path. The McKinsey and Company or yeah. whatever partner, just even from a mechanical standpoint or, or, or whatever, pragmatic, how did you make that shift from I'm getting a nice compensation to I got to put bread on the table? <laughs> so, I mean, it's so I've got a business partner. Uh-huh. Uh, he's my wife's brother. Uh-huh. And both of us decided to take this plunge and it was pretty lean. Like we didn't pay ourselves a salary and we didn't raise outside money. We were bootstrapping it. Um, So we were both fortunate to kind of live off of our wives' salaries for a while. Our wives (laughs) were the ones who were kind of, you know, putting bread on the table, living off savings. Yeah. Um, And then we were fortunate. Um, I mean, I don't want to, you know, success is like part hard work and part luck. Yeah. Right. And so we we had a lot of good luck or divine providence, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. and in my case, my family had been doing mobile home parks. We were able to take over management of their portfolio and professionalize it. And so yeah. we started getting some management fee income coming yeah. in the door at yeah. a certain point. Yeah. And then what uh, caused the pivot to investing uh, today, by the way, for people listening in, uh, you syndicate investors into these mobile home park communities. Uh, how did that transition occur? So that was the goal, mm-hmm. right? I, I left my cushy job yeah. and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I yeah. wanted to go buy real estate, improve yeah. it, operate it, yeah. um, create great communities for our residents and build long-term wealth for my investors mm-hmm. and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we picked a niche asset class, mobile home parks, where mm-hmm. I think, you know, I won't give the whole spiel, but there's a lot of reasons why it's a really good asset class. Basically people always need a place to live yeah. and it's really cheap. Yeah. So yeah. even in a recession, they stay full and they perform. Yeah. That's yeah. the basic yeah. story. Yeah. Um, it's a really good asset class and we had a running start because of, you know, I grew up around this stuff. Yeah. So we picked this niche and started looking for deals. And we said, you know, we gotta be scrappy, we gotta be nimble, we're gonna be lean. The first deal we did was a tiny, ugly, $100,000 mobile home park. <laughs> and we bought it at a tax auction. And, you know, we got into contract and then we're like, Oh shoot! Or actually, we didn't actually yeah, say oh shoot. We said something else. We said oh shoot. <laughs> we got to find hundred thousand dollars to buy a mobile home park. Where we're gonna get hundred thousand dollars? And, yep. and now I'd call an investor and have it in like ten seconds. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I was like, all right, I'm gonna call my ten best friends who I grew up with, and my cousin, and my family member, and like everyone's gonna put in ten grand. Yeah. And say, hey, do you want to take a bet on us? Do you have ten thousand dollars sitting in your checking account? Yeah. You want to invest somewhere and take take a risk with us? Yeah. And we bought it. The deal is performing great, and our residents are thrilled that we've improved the place. Yeah. You know, from there we went to a million dollar deal. From there we went to a ten million dollar deal. So it was wow. just kind of get, getting yeah. the ball rolling. That is great. I've heard you say uh, in giving advice, go do a deal. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I believe in that firmly. The best education, you got to go do a deal. Yeah. Um, I talk to a lot of people who come to me seeking advice. They're like, oh, you've, you've got this company, you, yep. you've got momentum. How can I be a real estate investor? I'm spending so much time you know, online looking at biggerpockets.com or yeah. going to seminars, whatever <laughs> it is. And I'm like, dude, you want to learn how to be a real estate entrepreneur? You got to go do a deal. Yeah. Um, and it is about the psychology of taking a risk and being an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. the deal size, it doesn't matter the product type. Like if you wanna be a multifamily developer building $100 million apartment buildings, great. But like go start by buying a 
crappy single family house for 100K or 200K or whatever yeah. it is, renovating it, yeah. getting it rented out, seeing what it feels like to be a landlord. Yeah. If you like it, if you like taking those risks, making those decisions and then reaping the reward, great, then go do a bigger deal. Uh, if you don't like it, fine. Maybe it's not for you. That's totally fine also. Yeah. But I think like you're not going to know that until you do a deal. So the faster you can do a deal, I think the better. So you mentioned on your first deals, calling up friends, family, asking for small checks, uh, take a bet on you. Um, I'm guessing that's not how it works today. Can you describe a little bit about uh, how you've raised capital over time and, and what your investors look like today? Yeah. I mean, it's actually not so different today. I mean, our DNA has been, um, I'd say it's a scrappy capital model, which matches our scrappy operating approach, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh -huh. We don't have institutional backers. We don't have kind of family offices with deep pockets who we can call up. You know, we, yeah. we started out with our friends and family, and it's kind of grown from there organically into a broader circle of small investors. Mm -hmm. So now I have a big list of them and it's easy for me to raise money because I have the track record. Yeah. Um, but our typical check size is still 50K, 100K. Yeah. You know, for us, a quote unquote big check is $300,000, yeah. which in the world of real estate is, is small. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we really like this model. You know, we're providing a great investment opportunities to people we care about. Yeah. Um, and as word has grown, right, now it's, now it's yeah. not just our friends and family, it's friends of friends of family of yeah. family. And we've yeah. got a pretty big pool now of these individual investors who are seeking good opportunities. Um, and they trust us. We've got a lot of trust with our investors. And that's something I find gratifying. It's really important to me. Yeah. And it's nice to not have, you know, a pension fund call me with their foot mm -hmm. on my neck, asking me for what's the quarterly results. I think my investors know that we're invested in the deal. Yeah. You know, I have my my parents and my sister's money in the deal, they know like, oh, we're incentivized to get the best possible returns and they, they trust they that we're making the right decisions. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. And why do you think people invest with you? I think two things. Um, number one, there's that trust. Mm -hmm. I've had investors tell me, and these are just, like sophisticated investors. One of my investors is a very successful multifamily developer in Miami. Um, and he's told me, I don't know how to underwrite a mobile home park deal. Like, Daniel, when you send me a deal, I'm not trying to go through it and look at what's in it operating income and what's the occupancy. He's like, that's mm -hmm. your business. Um, I trust you. I trust you to make the decisions. And I think a lot of our best, you know, when you establish a reputation mm -hmm. through your actions as someone who's trustworthy and who does the right thing and has integrity, yeah. people are willing to entrust you with their capital. So I think there's, there's that, that stewardship, I think, is a, is a big thing. People trust us to be stewards of capital. Um, the second thing is the product type. Mm -hmm. And our, it just makes a ton of sense. People need, like I said, people need a place to live. Um, and they're not building a whole lot more mobile home parks. Yeah. Um, and so if people are looking for a recession-proof place to put their money, mobile home parks performed great in 08, 09. Right now during COVID, we've seen like minimal disruption in the business. We're at like 99% rent collections. Wow. Um, there's lots of cheap debt available in our product type. So the asset class makes a lot of sense for getting steady income and building long-term wealth. Mm -hmm. how, how do you see uh, the market playing out? That whether, maybe speak a little bit about the broader real estate market and then specifically mobile homes, given uh, that we've confronted a year that we never could have anticipated. Right. Yeah. So I just... I thought in 2020 we'd be cruising along doing what we've been doing. It's actually thrown 
you know, thrown as many curveballs. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I'd say, you know, our economy is being disrupted. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got bankruptcies you never expected to see within the real estate sector. Uh, you know, you're seeing, you know, retail, hospitality getting hit really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and within our space, investor demand is just going up. Valuations are going up. In the past six months, I've seen a, you know, a marked increase wow. uh, in valuations for mobile home parks. Because when you look at the global economy and you figure out where do you want to put capital, housing is really stable, mobile home parks are really stable. I think a lot of new investors are coming into the space okay. uh, and demand is going up. So you know, for us as owners, that's great. We love when our valuations go up. For us as buyers, that's tough, <laughs> right? I mean, you you know yeah, that very well. Absolutely. So it is, you know, like I said, we pride ourselves on being scrappy and being flexible and being able to pivot. Um, and so, you know, we're doing two things. On the one hand, we are starting to look for some of those institutional capital relationships mm-hmm. um, that we have not had historically, like mm-hmm. life insurance companies who, you know, maybe they're willing to pay more for assets and get a lower return because it's going to be a super steady long-term yield. Yeah. So we're looking for that capital, but at the same time, we're looking at new markets. We're looking at kind of lots of those scrappy sub-institutional deals that fly under the radar. Yeah. Um, and we're also considering kind of how can we rethink the existing portfolio? Like, you know, we've got a lot of mobile home parks with tired, old, manufactured homes that came in in the 1970s. How can we accelerate replacing those homes, upgrading the park and making more money on home sales, kind of rethinking the core business? Yeah, fascinating. Um, earlier you mentioned that no new mobile home parks are being developed or, or something along those lines. Why is that? Or So, historically, these are trailer parks. Mm-hmm. They're taboo, right? The yeah. last thing you want in your neighborhood is a trailer park, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it, it's about as bad as like a refinery or a garbage dump, right? That was the <laughs> perception. Yeah. And no, 20 years ago, like my grandfather went to a, you know, a a cocktail party and told people in polite company that he was a trailer park guy, you know, they'd look at him like he smelled. Yeah. Um, and actually he might've smelled <laughs> like gasoline or like the stuff exactly. fixing his cars, but that's another story. Um, and now I'd say perceptions are changing, right? We don't call them trailer parks anymore. These are manufactured housing communities and they mm-hmm. provide affordable home ownership to families and they're built to a standard that's better than a lot of tract homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there is, a lot of need in the market to develop this type of affordable housing product. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were overcoming a lot of headwinds from communities, kind of the classic NIMBY, not in my backyard neighbor who doesn't want new development and they don't want what they perceive as a trailer park. So that's what's made it tough historically, yeah. but you are seeing new manufactured housing communities getting built um, in Florida, in Texas, and some of the markets that are more development friendly. Got it. And we would love to do it in our core markets on the West Coast, yeah. California, Oregon, yeah. Washington, Idaho, Arizona. Those are the states where we play, where we're strong. Yeah. Um, and we're exploring opportunities to develop new parks. Interesting. You know, uh, throughout your investing career, I'm, I'd be curious to know uh, of a deal that you passed on and looking back, you feel like, you weren't sure if you made the right decision or not. Hmm. I mean, I can think of deals that I bought that I regret. Okay. That, how how that, about that? that that's, an e- that's an easier one. <laughs> then I can think of deals that I passed on that I wish I bought. Right? So those are both easier for me. Yeah. Um, 
How, what, what, uh, do you, what do you? Where, uh, you what know, direction do you want to go? In it? More uh, learning experiences along the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Things that have helped make you a, a sharper investor mm-hmm. as, as you go through. If there's, you can think of a name of a particular yeah, property that, absolutely. that that's got lesson all over it. Uh, oh my God! Yeah. Okay. So you know, it, it's easy to talk about the wins, right? Like yeah. I, I could tell you yeah. my win story, and it's Renton Highland Manor in the Seattle yeah. market. I love it for all the following reasons. <laughs> Our worst deal um, is Puyallup River RV Park. It's outside Seattle. We looked at, we paid $1.8 million. It's like a 40 unit RV park. Um, we loved it because of the market. And generally speaking, um, you know, market is the most important factor, mm-hmm. right? It's real estate, location, mm-hmm. location, location. Yeah. And I see a lot of people in my industry getting confused about that where they think we're mobile home park people, so we would want to buy mobile home parks, and they're willing to buy in the most out there markets with negative population growth because they fall in love with the story around mobile home park investing. Yeah. Actually, in order to have a good investment, you need, at a minimum, steady population, and hopefully population growth. You need jobs, you need a reason for the place to exist. So for all those reasons, we love the Seattle market. Lots of job growth. Yeah. Um, It's got water, right? We don't worry about long-term drought risk. So we love Seattle, we've got a bunch of stuff there. We saw this RV park. Um, the price was right. We liked it because of the market. We bought it. We didn't realize we were buying a drug den oh, with no. drug dealers, hookers, uh, pe- like very close relationships between people in the park and the homeless people who live in an encampment next door. Um, there was septic tank issues there was issues on the well it's like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong at Puyallup River RV Park and you know we did our due diligence like we talked to law enforcement we did our physical property inspection we did that stuff and like you can look at it two ways either we just didn't dig deep enough yeah and a lot of deals going on we're doing three deals at once that's another lesson like when you're doing three deals at once or four deals at once if unless you're staffed appropriately sometimes you miss stuff yeah so we missed stuff um, and we've spent like way more money than we thought we would turning the place around. Like mm-hmm. we had to evict half the tenants. Mm-hmm. So guess what? We didn't meet our revenue targets yeah. and we had to rebuild the septic system. So guess what? Like cost is way beyond our projections and we haven't delivered a distribution to any of our investors since we bought it a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, and you know, I guess I'm fine talking about it. I don't, yeah. I don't feel embarrassed because if you're a professional investor and you do a lot of deals, you're gonna have wins, you're gonna have losses, yeah, right? That's absolutely. a reality. And it's good to own your losses and learn from them. I yeah. certainly learned about doing more rigorous due diligence. Yeah. Um, but the other thing here is having, like, you know, the saving grace here is we've got a great team. Mm-hmm. Operationally, we're turning the place around. We did buy in a great market because that is the most important criteria for us. So once we do our turnaround, we've got lots of tenant demand. Got it. And I'm blessed with great investors who yeah. trust us. And they say, okay, you haven't paid a distribution for a year and a half. All right. We know we're in this long term. We know why. You've explained it. You've communicated it. We believe in the deal long term. We believe in you as an operator. Like, we can can wait. And long term, this is still going to be a home run. The the price, we we bought it right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, first of all, uh, I thank you for spending the time today. Thank you. Um, and maybe leave us with a little bit of a jewel of wisdom. Uh, I'm going to throw out a curveball, which is given all the unrest in the market and all the volatility, what are some, do you have any sort of uh, uh, thought or opinion 
that you think might be unconventional, that might go against just kind of this river of what everybody else is saying is going to happen, whether it be in a submarket, a particular real estate, economics, whatever. Uh, what's, what's something that, that you're reflecting on that uh, might be a little different than what other people are thinking? My advice is align your money with your values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Align your money with your values. And that's regardless of market cycle, regardless of the industry you're in, align your money with your values. We, we live once as far as we know. Yep. <laughs> as far as we know, we're on this planet one time. And at least as a human, at least as a human. <laughs> and we are, you know, economic beings and we're also family members and we're spiritual beings and we're you know we there's a lot to us beyond just making money um and when you align your money with your values you sleep well at night and if you can still build serious long-term wealth so i'm looking about what i do mm -hmm. i love it i'm creating great communities for people i'm buying neglected mobile home parks turning them around creating great neighborhoods where people are proud to raise their kids yeah. right i feel really good about that yeah and in my asset class, we're not usually hitting, you know, doubles and triples. Like we're not getting 20% IRRs, 50% IRRs in our deals. Yeah. You know, yeah. our typical returns, we're getting, you know, six, 7% cash on cash. Yeah. Uh, you know, IRRs and typically the kind of 10% to 14% range. Yeah. Like it's a great stable return, especially if it performs like, you know, across decades. Yeah. Um, and I feel really good about it. So I, I'd say align your money with your values, you know, whether you're a professional entrepreneur and an investor, or maybe you've got a W-2 job and you're figuring out what do you want to do with all that money in your checking account, right? You're putting it in, maybe it's in the stock market, maybe some of it in real estate investments as a passive investor. Like, figure out what you believe in and put your money there and things should go right for you. That is great. Hey, I really appreciate your time today. Thank yes, you. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast where we demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, visit crusadapartners.com, where you'll find more information, investors tools, case studies, and more. This podcast is hosted by Joe Miratori and Ryan Suela. It's produced, edited, and mixed by Melodic, with intro music by Ian Post. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.